Hello and welcome to The Wild Folk, a conscious business podcast for those seeking a slower, simpler and more aligned way of living and working. The Wild Folk is a podcast for those who create a fairer and greener world through their work. I'm Amy Coates, a freelance copywriter and brand storyteller living by the sea here in Ireland. So welcome. I'm so glad you found us. Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the podcast. So today we are hopping across the channel to France to speak to Jean Carlier of Spark and Bloom Studio. And please excuse my terrible French pronunciation there. By the way, French was not my strong point at GCSE. So Spark and Bloom is a brand strategy and design studio which helps entrepreneurs make a positive impact on the world. Not long after we had this chat, Jean shared a really thought-provoking post on her Instagram about why Spark and Bloom is no longer an eco-conscious or ethical business. Instead, Jean sees Spark and Bloom's identity as a mindful brand strategy and design studio. And we recorded this episode while Jean was making the shift away from this kind of ethical vocabulary and viewing her business through a more mindful lens. So we discuss her turning away from the label ethical and eco-conscious to a more compassionate and nuanced stance. Jean shares a lot of gold nuggets about how to make your business that little bit more mindful. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. Jean, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's so lovely to have you on today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm really grateful for the opportunity. Uh, you know, I just can't wait to listen to your beautiful French accent and it will revive my like new wave cinema phase that I had when I was 20. Um, so Jean, can you just give us a little intro into who you are, what your work is, what lights you up? Yeah, uh, so my name is Jean and I run Spark and Bloom, which is a mindful brand strategy and design studio. Uh, I help mainly ethical businesses and uh, entrepreneurs that are in the eco-conscious space. Um, and what I really try to do is to uh, create more compassionate world through mindful businesses and design practices. Um, so I cultivate mindfulness, education and kindness in the way I interact with my clients and in mar- marketing and communication as a way to inspire um, and tackle the environmental crisis and justice issues um so yeah that's what I do do you know it sounds like you know if you hadn't said what you kind of do for your business like your why is so strong that you could actually do anything you know so if you decide (laughs) next year you want to I don't know start up a clothing company that wouldn't be like a big shock because your, your ethos is so strong well, you know, I feel like that's something I teach actually in branding is that your foundations, the foundations of your business, even if you did another business, they might not actually change. Your strategy might change because you don't solve the same problem if you have, yeah, like a closing business, but it doesn't, but you're still in business because you have a greater calling. So, yeah. yeah. And so did you kind of have this calling before you went into branding and design or was this something you was the design come first and the ethos come second? Well, so I grew up in a family of environmental activists. So it was always questions that 
I was aware of. Um, my grandpa was in the green movement in the 70s. So like, yeah, I was always aware of them. But it's only later after having had a few jobs that didn't align with my values at all that I was like, okay, that doesn't feel good. I need to mix in both because yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So how did you get into design then? Yeah, uh, so I had a pretty intense teenage crisis where I really didn't want to be useful to society. <laughs> so part of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but so I was like, well, I'm going to go into arts because and then there's like, I was really wrong because I do think that arts is very useful to society, but, you know, it's not like nurse. Um, and so, and I've always drawn all my life. My parents put me into drawing classes outside of schools uh, since I'm a kid. Uh, so, but realized pretty quickly that being an artist is a lot of work and, <laughs> uh, and, and I couldn't see myself surviving on it. Uh, so I went to history of art, uh, history of arts in college, um, to get a general sense of to learn more about it, have a broader culture, cultural background, uh, and then discovered applied art schools uh, where, you know, you have some graphic design, but you also have some uh, design for objects, you have fashion and stuff like that. So I did a year where I did a little bit of everything and graphic design is what made the most sense. Uh, so yeah, and then my, you know, the beginning of my career every time I had a job branding was part of it mm. and uh, making a logo and just working with constraint is really fun to me and that's one of the reasons why I also didn't go into just art um, because I didn't it didn't have enough constraint it comes from you more than external something um, that's what I appreciate about design Oh, so, okay. So art's always been pretty kind of, it was a sleeping off point. And then, so how did you kind of, how did the ethical stuff come? Was there like a brand that you came across that you were like, yes, this is, this resonates with me, or this is what I want to do, or wow, this brand is changing the world. I want to be part of that. No, actually, that's not what happened. It's just working at different companies where, uh, I had no visibility into what our suppliers or collaborators were doing on uh, an environment, on, on, on environmental questions, um, but also like if I was asking questions about, we were working with plants in China, for example, for one of my jobs. Um, and I asked about the workers' conditions there and my boss told me, oh, you don't want to ask. Oh, and right, so like, really? things like uh, this didn't feel good. Um, and then I worked on another job where it was more a tech company. Uh, and, you know, I learned a lot about UX, which is a passionating and fascinating field. But uh, I, um, my boss gave me some books to read and a lot of it was, okay, do you, how do you capture attention? How do you retain people on your app? And it just didn't feel very healthy. And um, so, yeah, all of this just didn't align. 
well with me and it, everything didn't feel right. So at some point I was like, well, maybe I just need to do my own thing so I can live by the values that I want. Um, and also because of personal stuff, like I used to live in the US, my family is spread over two continents. So just being flexible made more sense than finding a job that aligned with my values. So that's why. <laughs> that's, that Wow, that is, that's great. And obviously, you know, it's, if you're fam, if you're from a family of hippies that you know are in the green movement, it's just within you to kind of, so even if you didn't realize it's a teenager, it was just in your DNA. Yeah. And actually, you know, it's just only last year, it's even after I created Spark and Bloom that I was like, oh, of course, that's where I come from. That's why I went into this, doing it this way. Uh, it's just, yeah, one year later, I was like, oh, duh. Of course. But it takes you discovering that for yourself rather than your mum and dad being like, oh, right. you know, this <laughs> thing. You're like, no, I want to like carve it space for myself in this kind of world. Yeah, exactly. So, I was writing an article over the summer um, on greenwashing. I, I've actually spoken to a lot of um, graphic designers and brand brand studio owners, and I feel like we keep talking about greenwashing. It keeps coming up. But I was really shocked to discover that a lot of brands use words that have no legal meaning. So they can say on their packaging, we're ethical, we're eco-friendly, but they don't have to like um, qualify that or yeah. prove anything. Um, and so probably a lot of people kind of are still unaware of greenwashing in the masses, you know, yeah. like the average person that goes out and buys clothes. Um, and so then this word ethical, it's like, what does that actually, what's it, what does it mean? So can, can you talk more about like, what do you mean when you say I'm an, I'm an, I do ethical branding? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And actually, you know what, it's a word I'm a little bit steering away from because there's this morality attached to it and something that is ethical to me might not be ethical to someone else uh, like someone could have a very good argument for owning a gun uh, that I would not agree with um, so so that's why I'm not saying that I'm an ethical branding studio anymore I'm saying that I'm mindful branding studio but I do work with ethical entrepreneurs because the word is still very much used and it still has an impact on how you perceive uh, this company but what I mean with uh, ethical branding um, it's really when you're in business to create something good in the world it, you're not just here to make profit you have a substantial meaning behind your company and this is your driver um, and it really considers like the economic social and environmental responsibility that a company has and it's not just in your communication because otherwise that's woke washing which is a equivalent to greenwashing basically but it's also in how you operate and what you offer uh, maybe a product or a service. So it's really when these three components of a business come together and are done in an ethical way, uh, in a mindful way, let's say, uh, that we can talk about ethical branding. It really it adds value to the firm, but it also adds value to the world. Mm. I like that you're not using the word mindful. I think that's right. This kind of 
the word ethical has become very western centric mm-hmm. whereas you know so what's ethical for us might not be ethical in another continent but mindful you know because mindful just applies completely to the individual yeah exactly yeah I like the way you, you just described that and do you think do you think you've just mentioned three things that three mm-hmm. parts of running an ethical brand or mindful brand so mm-hmm. do you think they all have to exist in tandem or can you just ha- be better at one without the other or to call yourself truly ethical every part of your company has to be to the highest standard. I don't think you can do everything perfectly like that I mean perfection is something that you cannot attain ever um but you can work towards it. And I think that uh, there's ways to do that in an ethical way, for example, is being transparent, uh, for example, about what you're not doing well right now and that you're trying to work on. Um, Because it's really difficult first to run a business, (laughs) just from the (laughs) And then to uh, be mindful of everything at every stage is just, an additional amount of work because uh, it takes more time, it's slower, uh, you have more point of contact, you have to do more research uh, because you want everything to be aligned. So it means that you're going to look for um, not mainstream suppliers or not mainstream collaborators and then you're going to find ways to make your offer um, ensure that its different touch points are done in a mindful way. So. So I don't think that uh, you can. I don't think that you can call your uh, business ethical if you only have one. For example, only if your communication is ethical, then that's work washing. I think um, unless you have commitments and you share these commitments and you prove later on that you went through them. You know, like there's a question of accountability too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right about just being transparent about the places where you're very unethical, how you're trying to make changes. And it's just admitting, okay, we're not doing this good for this reason, but we're aware of it and we're working to change. Yeah. So, for example, Pepsi, which is a huge brand, you could think, well, their communication is not great, um, but they're, they're working on it. Uh, and in their operation, they have, uh, I don't exactly remember the numbers, but they're aiming by um, 2025 to have 10% of uh, Black Americans and 50% of women in their leadership uh, management roles, 10% being is because of uh, Black people in their company because there is 10% of people uh, of Black people in the United States. Um, and they are uh, putting a report every six months to say, okay, we took these steps. This is where we are in our commitment to get there. Um, so their communication is not great. Their operation is getting better and they're putting themselves in a position where they are accountable. And then their product, well, no, <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. it's a sugar drink, super cheap. We don't know what's in it. So, you know, but yeah, that's how they're getting there. I know because I've seen, you know, a lot of companies now on the back of bottles and things, they say, oh, we use 10% of recycled plastic or by 2050, we're going to be doing this. And you think, 
hmm, it's not very, it's not good enough. <laughs> you know, they yeah. make as if it's a big thing, and you're like, it's not that, it's not that much, or you're not moving fast enough. Yeah, you're kind of just doing the bare minimum because it's kind of you're pressured to. Yeah, yeah, and and that's why I think that really integrating at the core of your brand in your foundation, so in your your why and your vision and your mission, uh, from the get go is just easier for you on the long run because you don't have to reverse later on and be like oh shit i want to be i want to do more good in the world but now i have to redo everything that i've done before as opposed to maybe growing slower uh you know just yeah progressing slower but doing things right along the way or as best as you can along the way um is just you're going to make mistakes and that's okay, but you're learning in the process too. It's easier to do it that way than, yeah, having to retro it. I think it's, it's a friendly expression, but go back to what you were doing. Yeah. And just you saying ethical branding to you is kind of making the world a better place and adding, you know, um, yeah, doing good. What would you say then to maybe a small business owner who's listening to this and they make socks, for example, and they think, like, what can I do? What difference am I making? You know, I don't have a big platform or I only sell a small product at local markets. Yeah. How can they, you know, improve their, their branding? Uh, yeah, well, so maybe they can go back to the core of why are they making socks and what do socks do, for example? Uh, they warm up your feet. And who needs warm feet? Maybe uh, people who are sick, maybe people who don't have a home, maybe people who don't have a lot of money. I don't know. So then they could say, okay, well, I have more socks that I need to sell or I don't know, but maybe I can do a drive and give some socks to a charity. Uh, Maybe I can uh, find a way to... um, find thread that is repurposed from old t-shirts somewhere you know so there's always something you think you can do yeah yeah i I think even at your uh, small scale um even in the way you communicate uh, i think there's way to be more intentional and um because when we're talking about ethics there's also a question of accessibility so maybe your socks Um, are gender neutral and so all your communication around gender is going to be very mindful of the fact that people don't have one only one gender or that some people are searching how to place themselves within society etc and then it could be in your operation too like where are you walk to the local market to sell and we don't drive (laughs) yeah exactly or we're doing things by bike or uh, we're offsetting the gas that we're using we're not buying a truck but we're exchanging it against something else you know yeah and I think you're particularly good at doing this I know that you support and you give back to a lot of um, climate organizations can you talk a bit about that and how you know because um I came across recently the eco pledge you know Mm. something I never heard about and obviously does make a difference in how you run a business so can you you talk a little bit about that yeah so I I often I I offset sorry (laughs) my carbon footprint with uh, I chose cool effect 
a few years ago, uh, I looked into a few different places, but what I liked about them is that you could really choose um, the projects that you were going to donate to that would um, regenerate your carbon footprint. Uh, and I'm also part of One for the Planet currently. Um, and I took the ethical move pledge recently. Um, so yeah, it's just, it, it, to me, you know, I, I run my business online. Uh, I use electricity and gas to for my home office. Um, so my operations are somewhat minimal, but I still have a very heavy website because I started on Squarespace instead of doing WordPress. So I can't have green hosting for right now. Um, and I don't have the knowledge or the financial resources yet to migrate to WordPress. So offsetting my website and because I'm a designer, I have a big portfolio. So one of the things that I'm going to do is remove most of my um, case studies from online and have people uh, sending me an email if they want to see my portfolio just so to make it lighter and uh, hopefully make my carbon footprint less important. Because yeah, that's that's the thing that I can do at my scale. I'm sure I can do more, but that's also, you know, that's what I was saying is that there's so many things to do when you're a business owner. And so I know right now that my website is the thing that is not good. So, you know, yeah. you probably kind of are telling me all this thinking, you know, it's so familiar to you, but um, because you've been working with clients in this space, okay. but like green, um, green web hosting. Yes. Um, you know, like, yeah, what, <laughs> what, what is the big differences? How, because I was amazed to find out, um, you know, that we have, a, we're creating like digital pollution that absolutely blew my mind that stuff that we put online isn't yeah. just, you know, in the ether is contributing. That yeah, amazed me. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry about that. I, I didn't, uh, yeah, I spoke quickly. Uh, so yeah, the thing is, I think there was an error of communication at some point when, you know, in every email in the signature, people were saying, please don't print this email, uh, save a tree. That's great. Yeah, you don't want to print that email. But the email in itself is not negligible either, especially if there's images or videos. Uh, because, yeah, it has a weight and it's stocked. It's uh, secured somewhere on a server and servers are especially are often huge places requiring a lot of electricity because it's really warm. So you have to have a lot of AC in there. And a lot of times they're also in places that are really cold, like in the north, because um, because it's it requires less electricity, but it also takes up uh, you know, desert land that shouldn't be used up for that kind of things. So we definitely have a digital footprint and uh, every interaction that you have on the web, loading a page is going to use electricity and server space. Uh, the more a page is heavy, so with a lot of images, for example, heavy images, um, it's going to take more time to load, take more time, more electricity and just more space on the server. So green hosting um, is basically companies that host your website, but in a more eco-friendly way. They use a rigid, they use um, regenerative resources. No, um, 
Oh, I'm losing. I'm <laughs> such a hard time finding my words between. You definitely French say it in French. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm losing my words in French too. So that's. <laughs> <laughs> that's just working from home by yourself. That's the thing that happens, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to talk anymore. Um, renewable energy. What? That's what I wanted to say. Um, so it's just it has a lesser impact on the world, and some are actually aiming for um, having a positive carbon footprint. It means that they are um, not making you neutral if your offsetting is basically what you're doing, but you're actually uh, putting back into the world instead of just um, yeah making it neutral. Yeah. I know, and just things like, um, you know, I can't even imagine these places that you're describing, you know, in, in the north. Like, I'm just yeah. trying to imagine what they look like, and I can't even get my head around yeah. what they be. But, you know, I've had so many messages um, from people who people that I actually know in, in real life, not my not my Instagram, not my Instagram friends, but, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, they're at the, they're at the building blocks of starting a business, and mm-hmm you're like, oh, I mean, we've never heard of that. So I think that's really interesting. Like, it's really good to have these kind of conversations with with yeah. you. Because, like, you know, I, I would have never thought about how many images that I had on my website. Or, yeah, just just what, I guess, yeah, like I mindful, think... the mindful use of the internet. It's just not yeah. really talked about in our day and age. Yeah, I feel like it's starting since a couple of years, more and more people, and and maybe that's because I'm in that space, but I feel like more and more people are learning about it, and uh, it's definitely something that more and more people are going to hear about it. And thanks to podcasts like yours, because you interview people like this too, so it spreads the world a little bit. But we need, like, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, we need to keep talking about it and, like, not just assume, you know, that we're all in the same niche. Because yeah. so many people don't, they've never heard of these things. And we just yeah. take for granted, everybody knows. And um, do, I, I like what you said, I find it interesting what you said about taking your portfolio off mm-hmm. line and, you know, making it available by request. Do you feel like that will... Um, perhaps you'll lose a lot of kind of inquiries because people won't you know they can't just see an example of your work or it'll have the opposite effect and you'll be able to build more meaningful relationships over email or whatever well uh this is definitely something that i fear because i still haven't done it i've been talking about it for a year (laughs) and still not doing it uh but i think i've been talking about it more because i do believe that it's better for the environment and I think that it's uh, something important that I can do with my business Um, and I have stuff on Instagram and maybe Instagram one day won't exist anymore uh, but I'll find a different solution then you know yeah and and I think the thing is that I'm gonna leave one case study on my website so that people can see at least one thing yeah yeah rather than the whole shebang so do you think like now the big brands like pepsi are catching on to conscious consumers um and a lot of kind of ground roots businesses kind of advocating for the environment do you think in the face of the climate crisis do you feel kind of like there's kind of a pressure to promote kind of ethical branding and ethical communications that kind of maybe takes some of 
the, the good feelings you get that you're you know helping the planet or maybe even some of the joy out of the creation process like do you feel the pressure uh the fact that big uh, is your question the fact that big brands are getting into it removes some pleasure for me to be in this space yeah yes okay. that, yeah that is definitely one question and then the other kind of question that came out of that was and because you're we're in a climate crisis and it's kind of like this urgency we need to save the planet does that take some of the joy out of creating because you feel like you have to make a, such a big difference mm. so uh, for the big businesses you know I think it's good because that's how we spread the word and that's by I think it's a uh, we need to move in this direction and we need big businesses to be on board with it because that's where the money is and uh, the money is um, shift policies unfortunately with lobbying etc uh, and we need policies to change the way we're doing things right now uh, so i hope that they're doing it uh, in a mindful way <laughs> but i prefer them to do it than not yeah uh, and then you know i at some point i had an etsy shop where I was selling greeting cards and prints because I'm also an illustrator. Um, and that definitely took the pleasure away because at my scale, it was really difficult to find suppliers that could really do things uh, to the level of eco-friendliness that I wanted. Um, and clearly it was not sustainable. So it did at that point. Um, now with the communities that I have, uh, it is very pleasurable, actually, because I can uh, see the shift that some people, because they share it with me, uh, that they've made. I have a little um, day trainees on my website for uh, making your business more eco-friendly and ethical. And I have some people popping up in my DM saying, hey, this is awesome. I learned that and that, and I'm implementing this, and I feel better, and thank you for talking about it. So. So that's awesome. That's exactly why I created it because it just spreads the word and and if and and that's also why I created a business that aligned with my values. It's that I think that businesses have a very important impact on society and the economy. Uh, so we need to take on this responsibility and we need to carry it. So I need to do as a business my part to make this world a better place. And that's one of the things that brings me pleasure. <laughs> so talking about pleasure, let's just take yeah. a break from the heavy stuff for a minute. And I, I've been dying to ask you about your living in a van in America. <laughs> yeah, can you, uh, that is like my dream to like drive through America in a camper van and just park up and yeah. Yeah, t yeah tell me a bit about that adventure. Uh, it was really hard. <laughs> they don't tell you a hashtag van life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was great. It was great to discover the US. It was great to uh, be with my partner in that way. It was great to be able to see faraway friends because the US is so big. It's easy to have friends who live like three days away from you. Um, and uh, and it was my high school dream too. So, you know, <laughs> it was awesome. But it's really hard because 
you're running a business and at the same time you're in different places all the time so you can't rely on your routine and your habit to get you through the day so it means that you're hyper vigilant all the time basically because you're in a new space you don't know where you need to go to park where you need to go to get coffee to go to the bathroom um, and you have to be on a map all the time and you don't know where your friends live so you have to check that and how do you get there it takes time all of that so it's just a lot of mental space yeah so it's not kind of that that sort of aesthetic that we see oh yeah it's so chilled and we work from our laptops and we park up by the mountains it's actually yeah. stress and planning yeah to me it was not sometimes <laughs> it was but more often it was not <laughs> so what was the practicalities of you were running a business while you were traveling yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, and and my husband had a like a normal nine to five job so um and we were not all the time in the van because practically it was not sustainable, not, pra- not just logistic wise. <laughs> uh, so sometimes we had some Airbnb, sometimes we were staying with friends and uh, yeah, sometimes we were going from one place to another or staying in the van for two weeks. Um, and well, so I'm not 25 anymore, so my body doesn't feel good when I see t- <laughs> in, a, yes. in a little space on your computer and stuff, uh, internet problems, uh, where to get food. Oh, we had a stove, so it wasn't that hard. But you know, you just you're in a little space. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. that's a good test of your entrepreneurial and your marital skills. Yeah, as well. exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I've just I've just I've mentioned Instagram there, you know, kind of talking about the whole aesthetic of online. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of want to come on now to talk a bit about a social media and kind of how we communicate over social media. And do you think we do you feel we communicate more mindfully on social media or because it's such a quick fix? You know, you take a picture, write a caption, pop it up that we've kind of lost some of that authenticity. I think there's a little bit of both. I think that in some spaces of social media, we are too intentional, maybe, in our posts, for example, because we have this impression that we need to follow a perfect aesthetic and that we need to make our captions a certain way to grab attention, retain, sell. Um, And that, yeah, sometimes in our stories, we're maybe not enough intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting when you see uh, some early entrepreneurs, uh, for example, um, like one thing one thing that I try to often do is to check back the stories that I posted because mm-hmm. I, I got excited and I realized, oh, I posted a ton of stuff that are so deconstructed from each other and it tells... It doesn't tell a story or there's too many, it's too complicated. Um, so it's a really good exercise for myself to go back to my story and be like, oh, whoa, whoa, <laughs> that was way too much. Uh, and that's something that I see in young entrepreneurs where, um, because it's really hard to do, we're centered on ourselves all day long in our business, often alone, especially with the pandemic. Uh, so it's hard to refocus our attention to the person who is on the other side of the screen watching it. And so like there's a lot of entrepreneurs that I see who post a lot of memes, uh, but is that useful to your audience? Are they going to get something out of it? I'm, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, I, yeah and I've, I've seen 
um, a lot of content and question polls and stories like do you prefer me using my own personal Instagram for my business stuff or would do you prefer following an account that's just business based mm-hmm. and I do know because I love like I love seeing the whole picture of the whole holistic picture of someone and seeing their life um but at the same time you know you can you can give a snapshot into your life about telling the whole picture like I will never post anything about my son on yeah. Instagram so probably yeah. people you know wouldn't think I was a mum because that's just a boundary like I'll share me going for coffee or me mm-hmm. on holiday but yeah the motherhood stuff like that's for my own private yeah. account yeah. and it's important to have those boundaries and even you know recently I've kind of I go on social media like late at night um etc but I've purposely stopped replying to like client messages mm-hmm. at 11 you know I would kind of reply to them 24 7 but now I'm like no these are my hours I can go on Instagram whatever I want and I'll read their message but I would reply till you know eight the next day so I think it's so important because it is just like a you know it's just curation and I think (laughs) I think yeah you don't need to show the whole snapshot of your life absolutely you and, and you know there's also the whole question about what is Instagram doing with all of this data so so yeah that's probably a good idea to not have your son on your Instagram just even to protect him yeah you know? uh, because and for his consent because he's not giving consent either um, but yeah there's a for example on my part I have different accounts like I have a personal account and I have a work account uh, where my work account after 7 p.m at night it's off like I'm done I don't check it I'm just on my personal account and this way my feed is also curated because I don't want my friends photos to be mixed up with businesses stuff um, but it doesn't mean that yeah you cannot show personal stuff in your work account to give a glimpse to who you are outside of work and make this more personal connection because that's that's what people crave these days, especially with the pandemic. It's like to create this connection and this, um, that there's a little bit more emotion than just uh, selling a product, you know? Yeah. And, and I think, you, yeah. Sorry, you, you put up something really beautiful last week on your feed about, um, <laughs> is it kind? Is it truthful? Something like that? I got it right here. Is it true? <laughs> is it necessary? Is it kind? Love that. Yeah. So yeah, maybe, maybe the meme isn't uh, true, necessary, or kind. Often it's probably quite unkind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. But is I it think... necessary? You could say, hey, it made me laugh. And that's good. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, I think, you know, we're just, social media is new to us all, and especially using it for business is still relatively new. And I think we're just learning the balance because I remember years ago, like, putting everything on social media every heartbreak every comment I got if I had a fight with my mum I mean obviously I've grown up since then but I do feel like we are more mindful now about um what we share yeah yeah absolutely and yeah I think we do have a lot to learn about what social media is doing to the world and to our social constructs and social relations uh but it's also a fantastic tool for creating these connections and for people who are not the typical entrepreneurs who you know are more um 
um, introvert and who or who have a disability that prevents them from being out in the world um, because they can still do business and in a more fun way too. Like okay. how much more fun is it to post an image and be creative with your writing and with the storytelling in your stories than going to a like a, a seed meeting where you're trying to get a financial backup? Yeah. Completely. And I think there's like a lot of, especially because our screen time has gone through the roof in the last 18 months, you know, that we're always on Instagram and we're addicted to our phones, but you've described it really nicely. Like it is a storytelling platform and a platform to to share beautiful photography and be creative and not to beat yourself up if you're spending hours a day, because for me anyway, it's like a creative outlet. Yes, Totally. And it's beautiful. Do you know, I have the opposite thing that I I find sharing my business stuff kind of harder mm-hmm. because people that know me in real life follow me. <laughs> so sometimes I'll have to mute a few, hide my stories from like my mum, for example. <laughs> She's like, what's this? What does this mean? <laughs> Just makes me go down. Or if I'm talking to the camera, my dad would be like, why are you putting on that fake voice? <laughs> So I'm like, no, this is professional me and this is Amy, you know, off yeah. June. And that's so, one of the reasons why I have different accounts too. And some friends follow me, but at some point they stopped replying because they were like, okay, she's doing her own thing and I'll follow her on her personal account. I don't get it. I just want to see pictures of her cat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care about her, her services. <laughs> so um, mindful communication. So how do you, yeah. how do you help clients, um, your clients, yeah, I'm just basically asking you about your services. What kind of services do you offer and how do you um, help? Yeah, uh, so I offer brand strategy and brand design services. And so the brand strategy is the more um, strategic part. <laughs> uh, so it's really working on your foundation. So um, really defining what is your why, your purpose, your vision, your mission, your values, and then your brand strategy per se, it's your brand positioning. So it's going to be analyzing your competitors and uh, creating uh, an ideal client a persona so that uh, you can really see, okay, what is going to resonate with them, what is the what are the gaps in the market that I could feel so that I can really differentiate myself and offer something new compared to my competitors. And with all of this, uh, we can create a very intentional brand design that is actually rooted in meaning and is going to be sustainable because we have all this background to uh, make our design decisions. They are not based simply on your um, personal preferences. It's based on actual data. And so it makes it yeah, just way more intentional as opposed to um, someone who tells me, no, my partner prefers a color purple. Why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so we're doing this and what I'm talking, when I'm talking about mindful communication or just mindfulness in general, it's really, um, not, it's, it's, so I, I, I practice mindfulness meditation. So a lot of it is uh, being present and noticing things. And I also think that it's a 
really good way um, to circle back a little bit to being ethical or more environmentally friendly is just because when you're talking about to people about noticing their impact and then decentering themselves from themselves, um, that's where you really start to notice the world around you and noticing that there's issues and start to question the status quo. And so when you're doing that in branding, uh, instead of saying, oh, I want my brand to represent me personally, uh, and because I have pink, I'm going to use pink, um, your ideal client might not be you, or they might be similar to you, but even if they're similar, they're not you. And so what are, is going to resonate with them when they're looking for the solution that you're offering? Like, what do they need to feel? And so then you can make decisions based on that. And I think it's really powerful. And because in branding, the, what you're doing is really creating a relationship with them. So if you're using codes, uh, visual codes, visual elements, uh, language elements that is going to resonate with them, they're going to be able to engage with you more easily and you're going to be able to create a really meaningful connection. Mm. Mm. And yeah, I, I, a piece of advice I heard recently, which I loved, was start backwards, know what you, nail down what you want to be known for, what mm. you want to be, rem sorry, remembered for. Yeah. Like, you know, imagine after you've gone, what people will say about you and build your brand around that. And I loved it because often it's quite like, this is what I believe, this is what I think, this is my opinion. Whereas if yeah. you actually start about what impact you want to have even after you're gone, that's quite a powerful place to start. So yeah, how, do clients, um, yeah, how do clients, how do they work with you? Like, do you, when you say that you kind of um, do these, you know, getting to know the customers or do you kind of have a chat like this or would they go away and come up with something and then you give your advice on it or is it much more of a, coll a collaborative process? So it's more collaborative process. What I do actually in the very beginning is that we're just going through a brand audit to because I don't want to give you um, not a custom package, but to to make sure that uh, I'm going to offer them uh, something that fits their need. We need to do an audit and that takes a little bit of time. But then they have a, they have. So I'm doing some research on my own for that and we're meeting for an hour and a half and at the end they have a roadmap that they can then either implement by themselves or they can hire me to do the whole work and the whole work consists of um, two or three workshops to really go through uh, the brand foundation so really so I'm making them talk a lot for an hour and a half and I ask them questions like this. What is the kind of impact? What do you want to be known for? If your business was in a newspaper in 10 years, what would the reason be? Uh, so that we can really get into the nitty gritty stuff of why they're in business uh, and how they approach business. And then at the same time, in parallel, um, I'm going to analyze their competitor. So um, and and their competitor who are now at their level, but also knowing where they want to go later, I'm going to look at people that are already in that space. Mm. Um, and so that's just a lot of work of uh, going to their website, everywhere on their web presence and see 
what does their website look like? What kind of language do they use? Uh, what do their uh, audience talk about in their comments, in their reviews? What kind of impact they have on the world? And then analyzing all of that and seeing some gaps that would fit with the purpose of the business, but also at the same time, uh, their ideal client. And while I'm doing this competitor analysis, I look at who are their clients and um, being and with all of this, creating a portrait of someone who needs their business uh, and figuring out what they need in life and how they would feel uh, with this solution. And with all of that, uh, I create a brand style guide where they have everything laid out, uh, where they have their brand purpose, their vision, mission, core values, uh, an analysis of their competitor mood boards, um, an analysis of their brand persona. And then if we go in the brand design, uh, then we do an art, uh, artistic direction and a design brief that comes from the strategy. Uh, so we create a mood board and we say, okay, this feels right. We have uh, the right set of colors. We have the right kind of font. The personality feels good. Um, oh, I didn't talk about the brand personality, but with all of that, we decide on the personality. That's kind of where the design brief come from. Yeah. I've never, not that I've ever worked in an agency or anything, design agency, but it just sounds like a, a much more of a collaborative together mm -hmm. process than I can imagine a lot of corporate, these kind of same role in the corporate setting would be. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, that's really what I like to nurture with my clients is um, it's this collaboration because ultimately they know their business better than I ever will, even if they talk to me for 50 hours about it, because they have an intrinsic feeling about it. Um, so that's why I want them to be involved in the process. And uh, even, you know, when I'm creating, when I'm crafting these vision statement and stuff, uh, I send them drafts first because I want them to tell me, hey, okay, am I doing going in the right direction? Does it feel right? Is it going to be, is it going to feel good to present your business to the world with these words? Mm. Oh, is it going to feel good to present? Oh, I'm going to write and scribble this down. <laughs> That's very inspiring. <laughs> um, and you know, it's what date is it today? It's the 30th of September. And I was doing my little review for the month um, of all the things I'd failed at, because I want to mm -hmm. talk about my failures as well as the high points. So I want to ask you in the, this month, can you, can you name a time that you've failed or something didn't go so well? Yeah, I'm sure that happened. Um, or any time, it doesn't have to be this month. Anything that springs to mind? Yeah, just yesterday, actually. Um, I was supposed to go on lunch with... Uh, I, Paris is still new to me because I moved back in October, but everything was locked down and I was very careful during the pandemic. Uh, and it's back to school, so things are coming back. And I was supposed to go to lunch uh, with a friend and his colleague to talk about work and maybe project. And he told me his colleague was not able to go. And I just said, well, let's just cancel. Instead of, no, it's okay. Let's just, let's still meet and enjoy the time together. Um, and so I think it was a missed opportunity for just us to connect better. Yeah. And um, yeah, 
I'm very bad at that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, it's good to talk about it though, because you know, you're like you said, we just highlight the the stuff on our stories. And what yep. about what's something that you've done in the last month or whenever that you are really proud of and you finally got out into the world? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm actually going actually going to plug something here. <laughs> hey, it's your window. <laughs> Uh, I finally got around to create a workbook that I'm really happy with. I've been thinking about it since last March. Um, it just me, just took me so long to get around it. And uh, I finished the content, I finished the design, and I'm going to launch next week, uh, not next week, next month, October. Um, and it's about how to appeal to your ideal clients for ethical businesses. Ooh, yeah. I, I, you know, good to hear you say it's been on the list since last March because <laughs> I've had so many things on my list, you know, for months and it keeps yeah. getting added to the, but yeah, it takes a lot of time, but I'll, um, yeah, you can send me the, the link and I'll put it in the show yeah. notes because it'll probably be live whenever this episode goes out. Um, and have you, I ask everyone this question because I love it. Have you got any um, book recommendations um, yeah. that have inspired your work or your, your approach to work? Yeah, um, one of them is called The Book of Joy and it's by the Dalai Lama and the Archbishop Desmond Tutu and it's actually a conversation between them and I actually really recommend to listening to it because it's all recorded with them talking So and they're so funny and they're so joyful and I I listen to it two times and every time I just crack up. It's so good. And it's just a, an ode to joy and to mindfulness. And I think that we all need that in our business. Um, and the other one is How to Do Nothing, Resisting the Attention Economy from Jenny Odell. Uh, and just the title, I think, speaks for it. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good yeah you're allowed to just exist and be joyful you don't need to be a machine of production and exactly yeah yeah justify your your work your existence or your worth through others yeah it's really good so jean where can people find you online and connect with you yeah uh, so you can find me on my website it's called uh, sparkandbloomstudio.com and uh, I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn. Uh, it's Spark and Bloom Studio. <laughs> Same <Yeah>. thing. <laughs> and yeah. I'll go over follower and get Jean's amazing workbook. Yay! <laughs> she's, been, she's been creating. Jean, thanks so much for this conversation. Um, I found it really helpful in, in communicating more mindfully and seeing what I can do, you know, on my own scale of being ethical. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, too. Thank you for having me. Uh, I love your podcast. I've been listening to it since it's out. And yeah, it's so great to hear about how other entrepreneurs are doing things and hearing you at the same time, like asking them all these interesting questions. I loved your questions. So, yeah, thank Thank you. And that's it for today. I hope this episode has inspired you to 
look beyond the label and you know push past the box that you might have put yourself in and dig down to what ethical really means for you and perhaps it's given you some ideas uh, how to make your own business just that bit more mindful uh, all links will be available on my website which is the wildfolkstudio.uk forward slash podcast you can find Jean on Instagram at Spark and Bloom Studio and me on Instagram at thewildfolk.studio. If you have enjoyed this episode, please send the link to a friend so they can listen too and rate and review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate it. Until next time, stay wild.